Hello, and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is a leading movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Olivia, and this week, Inika, Isaiah, Madeline, and I spoke with Lily Howard Scott, an outstanding educator, curriculum developer, and social and emotional learning coach who's been doing research on learning gains during the pandemic. Recognizing that this year has been full of challenges for students, parents, and teachers, Lily focuses on the creative opportunities that have arisen now that teachers literally have a portal, Zoom, into students' world and are forced to think about the whole child in a dramatically enhanced way. We discussed how complex it is to create change in teaching and learning at scale and how powerful it is to have some models for doing so, but how this year has the potential to move us forward and backward leaps and bounds. We want to know, what learning will you hold on to beyond the pandemic? Please leave us a voice memo or pop us an email sharing your experiences. Thank you for joining us. Hi, I'm Inika Kodestane, and I'm a high school junior from New Jersey. And in addition to being on the podcast, I'm also co-editor-in-chief of the Next Generation Politics blog. And I'm really excited for today's conversation just because it's so topical for all of us. And I feel like education, especially in terms of COVID, but also after COVID, hasn't been talked about as much as I'd like to hear it. And so I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, hi, my name is Isaiah Taylor. I'm currently a high school senior attending school in Queens, New York. And as a student of remote learning, I'm just very interested to see how the administrative side of things are doing. Uh, and, you know, just the mindset of, uh, of adults regarding, you know, uh, how students should carry themselves uh, whilst learning online. Uh, hi, my name is Madeline Mays. I'm a high school sophomore from Brooklyn, New York. And um, obviously, um, education is something that is really personal to me, not just because I'm a student, but also because I actually want to pursue a career in education. Um, I, I'm not so sure, though, what the future of education is going to be like after this year um, in all of its complexities. Um, so I'm interested in hearing in which direction uh, education is going in and what predictions we have for the future. Hi, I am Olivia Becker. I'm a senior from New York City, and I'm also the Next Generation Politics Director of Outreach and Engagement, and also um, in one of the lead civic fellows at the Forum in New York City. And yeah, as a student who has been deeply affected by hybrid learning and by COVID, I would just love a lot of your insights on what new precedents are set and what new things we've learned about students through this process and how that can potentially benefit all of us going forward. Absolutely. And I just have to say, um, I'm so looking forward to learning from you four as well. So um, so yeah, I'm, I'm Lily Howard Scott. I'll always identify as a third grade teacher at heart. I taught elementary school for nearly 10 years. And now I'm a curriculum developer and a social and emotional learning coach. I teach graduate school up at Bank Street. And I also support teachers around the country in a variety of capacities through coaching, through um, curricular help. And as I've transitioned into that role, you know, my, my focus has really stayed the same. I'm most interested in really blending together social and emotional and academic learning. I believe that they're always bundled up together. Um, as you all know well, how you feel in the classroom is inextricably linked to how you do in the classroom. And um, this year, educators um, and students have really grappled with that reality. So yeah, thrilled to be here. 
I'm happy to take this conversation in any direction that is relevant to you all. I know something for me that's really been interesting even before COVID and, you know, the whole remote learning thing is the mental health aspect of uh, being at home uh, and, you know, students learning all the time. And uh, in another podcast we had, Madeline, uh, she mentioned that her she feels bad for her little brothers because uh, they're really young and they're going to school and they don't really remember a time uh, before COVID. So I was wondering what you, what you have, your just your general thoughts on mental health and that, and its doings with remote learning. That's such a great question, Isaiah. Um, you know, it's funny in this in this very challenging and very strange moment. There's an opportunity because, as we all know, mental health is deeply important all the time. But when you're a teacher who finally has this portal into a child's world, literally a Zoom portal, and you see, okay, this this child has a tutor right next to her, or this child is sharing a device with somebody else, or this child is wandering around in the back playing with Legos because it's totally developmentally inappropriate for him to be sitting still right now, you are forced to really think about the whole child and to think, uh, you know, what can I do to support all of you? And of course, that includes the emotional component. And so I think something that's happened is that it's become so obvious that kids' emotional well-being is, is critical to their engagement. Uh, to their sense of joy at school, to even whether they'll stay in front of their computer, that that teachers have, you know, most schools say, of course, we want to teach to the whole child, but that's a hard thing to do. So in this moment, teachers have said, well, I have to teach to the whole child. I have to arrange a separate time, you know, to help this kid with his executive functioning. I have to, to arrange a time to support this child who's melting down with anxiety and help him work through how to use the chat box function because he doesn't know how to do it. And I think kids are, or teachers rather, are teaching the kid and not the curricula for the first time in a long time. And that's been lovely to see with permission from administrators. And most of the teachers I work with have that permission from, from administrators. Let go of the plan, do what you need to do to support kids' mental health. Um, that's our priority this year. I hope moving forward, that remains a top priority. Yeah. Um, I feel like that has the real potential to exacerbate inequalities or inequities um, as far as school, right? region and income public versus private you know teachers having the ability to target the whole student a class of 20 is very different than a class of 40 and so i was wondering what your thoughts are on that so just to make sure i have your question straight um are you asking like there's some teachers for whom it's easier for them to meet the needs of their children to to even notice what's happening within that yeah, Zoom thing? yeah i mean that is the question of the day, right? I mean, I think the solution to that is tricky, but again, an unexpected gift of this moment is that if you are working in education or most likely not working in education, but you have some strong feelings about education, you can no longer tell yourself this, uh, this story, which we all know to be false, which is that when a child shows up every day at school, there is this kind of even playing field, right? That, that as long as you're at school, if you work hard and you try, great things will happen to you. Because we now have this portal into a child's lived reality, 
I don't know anybody who's working in education or talking about education who isn't acknowledging, whoa, 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 kids are bringing all sorts of different things to school each day. And we need to reckon with uh, making sure that basic needs are being met first and foremost, really, um, really letting go of the narrative. Yeah, just show up and work hard, things will be okay. Now, Olivia, the, the logistics of that, of how to uh, really promote a much more inclusive and equitable public education experience for all students is a complicated thing that gets into issues of zoning, of lottery, of teacher pay. Um, and that is that might be a different conversation, but at least we all seem more awake to it and interested in participating in it. I realized, especially this year, uh, well, actually, no, not especially this year, uh, especially after getting to high school that teachers and students are kind of on more level playing field. So uh, just to follow up to my original question about mental health with students, uh, how, what kind of toll is it taken on teachers? Because, you know, it's a lot, it's, it's a change what you've been doing for the last like 10 to 15 years or five to 15 years. I realize it could be a lot and overwhelming, so. That is such a thoughtful question. Um, you know, it, I'd say teachers have been forced to design a new metric with which they're going to evaluate their own self-worth, with which they're going to answer this question. Did I do a good job today? And I think that, you know, as somebody who cares deeply about social and emotional learning, that the new, that the new metric many of the teachers I know are using is a much healthier one. Because as you said, teachers had to throw out what they were doing before, or maybe they tried to do it. And it was such a clear failure that they realized, all right, you know, I have to switch things up. I think in a physical classroom, you can give like a deadeningly boring lesson and I've done it myself, but everybody's stuck there with you. They can't go anywhere. They might sit still and be quiet. You think there's meaningful learning happening. And as you all know, there absolutely isn't. You're thinking about something else. When you're teaching remotely, a kid actually falls asleep or just walks away. And so um, teachers I know were forced to say, whoa, this isn't working. How can I make this more fun? Or I know a great teacher who whenever she lost kids' energy, she would throw the lesson plan out the window and say, let's do a scavenger hunt to teach a second grade. She'd find something connected to the lesson and say, go find that around your house, bring it back show it you know, in front of your screen and one of you can take over for 15 minutes. And so I think teachers who had previously thought, I'm a great teacher today if I stuck to the plan and if I did what I think I'm supposed to do, they let go of that and instead adopted this new, um, more flexible way of thinking about things. I'm a good teacher today if I met the kids where they are. And I think that's a much more child-centric way of thinking about teaching and learning and a lot that's much less adult centric. And that shift has been painful for some teachers, but once they get there, I have seen, um, I have noticed just palpable relief because the second way of operating is so much more joyful. It's so much more interesting. Um, and that's when powerful learning happens when you teach the kid and not the curriculum. This shift that you're describing sounds like some sort of like magical reevaluation of like a whole human being, like you leveled up in life. Um, 
but and usually I'm I'm quite the optimist and I like to look at things with a more positive light. Um, but I have to say, I really, I haven't seen that actually much in my school mm -hmm. career so far, remote learning or my brothers. Uh, my brothers are in second grade and third grade. One has an um, individualized education plan and the other is in GNT. So they're very different students. And um, I have to say, like, I, I don't really see that much, like, even though like my brother does have an IEP, he doesn't really have that experience, I feel like from what I see with his main teacher. Um, so I, it's hard also because his teacher is in school and he, she has to teach to the in-class person, uh, students and the, the students at home at the same time. And of course there's like so many, so many other bar uh, barriers in that. So it's so complicated, but like at the same time, I see that actually with my other brother who is in, in a gifted, talented program, and he does have that more individualized um, attention. So it's just really interesting just watching this, this back and forth, like this pull in opposite directions. Mm -hmm. And then um, for me, I feel like um, it's hard because my teachers don't really go the extra mile to try to be personable with the students like even most some of my teachers like I don't I haven't seen their faces before since the beginning of the school year like because everyone just has their camera off like all the time um, even if I'm the only person with a camera on in my class like I do it anyway because I want to somehow pull some engagement into my classroom um, but it just doesn't work so I think from what I'm hearing from you, it sounds like it is um, a difficult thing to do. And it is. And I, um, I would not say that it's the norm nationwide, obviously. This is a pretty profound shift, right? Like teacher training programs are right now mostly focused on, we have some standards, we have some skills, here's how I need you to teach them. Not actually your job is to tend to the whole child to make sure that kids feel comfortable navigating failure to make sure that they can practice introspection to of course yes teach them skills but really most importantly teach them how to function in this world um, with compassion and with empathy and with self-knowledge this is a big shift that i have been a proponent of for many years but that is and is uh the norm in progressive education but is um you know trickling down to more traditional classrooms. But I think that because remote learning has been such a uniform disaster for so many kids in, in both progressive and more traditional settings, that th there's this opportunity to say, well, this is possible. You know, what you're doing isn't particularly working, but you know, let's look over here and there's another much more joyful, much more engaging way to operate. And, you know, we have proof of it now. We have these videos of these incredibly flexible master teachers who actually can captivate a room of first graders remotely. It is possible if that teacher makes space for their interests and their wonderings, and if she's, um, you know, open to relinquishing some quote unquote power, some control. And so I think we have a little bit of proof. And as we think about um, moving forward and not necessarily wanting to return to the old normal, understanding that there are some 
real uh, lessons of this moment. I, I hope that um, particularly in teacher training programs that that we can show some of those masterful videos and that teachers can think about this in a new way. And I feel for your sibling with an IEP, I mean, in this moment when services were interrupted and that is an impossible task, let me just say, teaching kids via Zoom while teaching kids in person, any administrator who's asking teachers to do that, it's, it is, I, I, I've never seen it work. And so in a way it's not the teacher's fault. It's like, if somebody asked me to perform heart surgery remotely, it just, it doesn't work out well. So uh, my heart goes out to your, to your sibling. Um, just to sort of bounce off what Madeline was saying, I, you know, as high schoolers, we sort of most, I mean, for the most part, we have like emotional intelligence, we have social interactions. And like, even though we had to transition into remote learning, we have experience with talking to our friends online. So it wasn't like a really shocking experience, um, at least socially to move to remote learning. But I was curious, I mean, as someone who's worked with elementary schoolers, you would know how it's really having an effect on younger children, because obviously they're at a different point in social development. And I know for me, like going to elementary school and going to middle school and like being with other kids was so important to like becoming who I am as a person and like, you know, developing my interests and my ability to speak to other people that's not on a computer screen. And so I was interested in just what your thoughts were on how that's going to affect like the future gener generations, um, just because they're growing up in a time where you're seeing people for a lot of your life on a computer screen and yeah. how that's going to affect their ability to like speak to other people, their ability to, you know, go out into the quote unquote real world and understand what it's like to interact like in person. That's a great question. I think luckily kids, but young kids are in particular are remarkably resilient and adaptable. Like if they weren't, we all would have, you know, we wouldn't have made it past a couple thousand years as a species. And so I think, I don't know anybody who's saying, oh, remote learning is superior. Obviously, of course, especially for those little souls, the most meaningful learning happens in a social context. And that's true for everybody, but it's most true for a kindergartner. And so I think, um, I think that there isn't, I, I don't think anybody thinks these kids will be forever traumatized. I think when we move back into in-person learning, there's just gonna have to be much more time devoted to those basic things, how to not elbow somebody in line, how to circle up at circle time, you know, how to take turns, but that really just is a kindergarten curricula. I will say, I know some exceptional early childhood educators who, because they couldn't teach that social curricula in the same way, took this opportunity of this year to do something really interesting. Um, I don't know if you all feel this way, but school, particularly elementary school, before you have electives, before you have more choice, can be this like this big exercise in compliance where you become really good at following directions and your teachers tell you exactly how to diagram a sentence or exactly how to spell that word or exactly how to carry the one. But there aren't many opportunities for you to look inside and say, well, what are my interests? What do I wanna do? How do I wanna um, muck about with these materials? And so a lot of early childhood teachers I knew created much more space for those younger kids on Zoom 
to uh, lead. You know, they would say, okay, every Friday, one of you gets 20 minutes and you get to just present to the class. What is something you really care about in life? Maybe it's your hamster. Maybe it's your baby sister. Maybe it's your Pokemon card. But we feel that what you bring to school is of value and we want to learn from you. We know that our curricula doesn't touch on all of your expertise. And I think that's such a valuable lesson for kids to learn and for them to practice. And I love that a lot of young kids got that opportunity this year. I will say also that um, if, if you know you have a very high achieving kid who goes to school and is a, really an expert at being compliant, dangerous things can happen. Like it's not like those kids are uh, winning because they graduate from high school, from college, from law school, and they think, wait a second, I have had no practice looking inside and thinking about what floats my boat, what I wanna to contribute to the world. And you can choose a profession that does not at all align with what makes you happy. And so at a very early age, um, giving kids that agency in the classroom is something that lower, you know, lower grade teachers had to do to keep kids engaged, to keep them there with you, you know, keep them right there with you on Zoom. But I think that that trend will continue um, throughout their elementary school experience. I really hope that it does. Yeah, I think that's a very valuable point. Um, something else, a fear that I kind of wanted to raise and hear your, your views on as well as another question I wanted to ask was, First, right, we, we've seen this trend of, you know, a greater prioritization of children's emotional well-being this year. I think something that has taken a toll is curriculum. I can say as a student, right, I haven't learned the same amount as far as quantity that I did last year. Mm. I would say I'm learning at like a 0.6x speed and I see, you know, a lot of students would agree with me. And I'm not saying that's the wrong thing for this state and the context and the world we're living in. But I fear that there's going to kind of be a rush next year to accelerate things to try to compensate so that in two or three years, all students are caught up and ready for colleges, which aren't gonna change their curriculums drastically. And so kind of, you know, the potential harm that that could cause to the student. Yeah, um, yeah that was kind of my first thing I would love your, your thoughts on. I've been thinking about this question so much, Olivia. Like, what does it mean to catch up? Like, what standard are we even talking about? And a lot of parents have turned to me and been like, wait, what is happening at school? Because school, let's remind ourselves, has been sort of protected from parents, right? Like they don't have this insight into exactly what's going on. And you can tell yourself a story that all sorts of exciting learning has happened. And then you realize, wait, my student, my kid has been at home for a year. And it turns out that a lot of the most sort of meaningful learning is coming from them. It's not necessarily even coming from school. So I think, um, well, you're, you ask a couple good questions. One, I think there should be absolutely no rush in the fall to quote unquote, catch kids up. That could have really, really uh, tricky consequences, particularly you're a, you're a kid who seems to want that extra enrichment work, right? And wants to be challenged. There are many kids uh, who are gonna be entering school next fall feeling, um, feeling insecure about their academic abilities or feeling a little nervous. And the last thing we wanna do is double down and make them feel more inadequate. Uh, they'll simply shut down. They won't operate with a growth mindset. It won't work for anybody. So I think 
ideally what would be happening now as you know a gifted student in your school is that even if the standard curriculum isn't quite exciting you in the way that it usually is i would hope that your teacher might give you some enrichment independent projects or ask you what do you want to learn about and let you navigate some of your that own learning on your own right now is any of that happening for you do you feel you have that opportunity yeah i think that's a valuable point of reaching out um, to, to get the enrichment that I need. I think a lot of teachers are, are doing specific things. I think I'm really lucky in that I go to a school that's great at catering to the needs of every student um, and take particular classes um, that I can do extra reading in. So I think part of it's an individual exploration, um, but yeah. yeah, it has been happening for me. And then the second thing I kind of wanted to pose to everyone, um, and it's been a topic that has been huge at my dinner table, but also amongst friends and teachers in school is the notion of mandating vaccinations going forward. So I think this will have a huge impact on schools, whether that's the, you know, emotional well-being of students, the actual health of students, you know, how schools are able to operate in the fall, are they going to need to continue a hybrid model? What do you guys think? I defer to you all here. What do you think? I mean, if, I mean, if it helps out, I mean, I'm all for it. I mean, there's I, there's a lot people don't really believe in the, in, in the vaccine. And for that reason, you know, you don't really have to be going to school in person at that point, uh, because that's more of a, uh, a personal uh, disagreement um, with, with science or our experts. So, I mean, I'm all for it. I'm supposed to be going in for my first vaccine this Saturday with my dad. So, uh, I mean, and I heard that they might even start trying to... Uh, limit air travel and mandate vaccinations for uh, traveling via air. So I, I think it's more of a conversion thing. Uh, we're moving into the next phase of, I guess, recovering and uh, get being a better society. That's a good point. I mean, I think America is a big and complicated and diverse country. So we're very attached to our individual freedoms here. <laughs> and the consequence of being you know, a community of people who believe such different things is that constitutionally, I think a vaccine mandate is gonna be something tricky and we might be able to manage it, but it's not like we're Finland. You know, it's just when you have people who share really different values all under the same umbrella, these, these complicated things come up. No, it's definitely easier for countries with more homogeny. I would agree with you on that. I mean, I look at, I think Cornell was one of the first universities to do it, to say students to come back on campus in the fall have to be vaccinated. And I really respect that decision. And I think it'll be easier for private schools in New York City that aren't, you know, parts of the government aren't obligated to follow a lot of those rules to say that that students have to be vaccinated. Um, I actually got my first vaccination a little under a week ago, which was super exciting. Um, right when it opened up to 16 plus in, in New York City. Um, but I, then I was reading about what's happening with J&J, &J, right, especially as like a, a young woman growing up. And it does scare me a little bit. Um, I guess there's no going back, but I understand the validity of the argument of I want to wait a year, I want to wait three years to see what happens. Um, I, you know, we don't have as much data as we do on polio on other vaccines that have been mandated. 
And so I think it's a tricky comparison when you just point to another vaccine that students need to go to a New York public or private school. Um, so I, I think it's really tricky. I think private schools will be able to do their thing. Public schools, it's it's a whole other question. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I personally have a friend who was never caught up on her vaccines and um, she was very, she was scared because um, right when COVID hit, she was very afraid that she, something was going to happen. Like she wasn't, she was going to be kicked out of school and um, because her parents didn't allow her to get the vaccines that were needed to stay in school. So I feel like for me, I, the easy question, the easy answer would be like, you should, everyone should just get vaccinated, but there's just so many more complexities than we can even imagine or even think about, um, which is pretty crazy. So, I mean, I, there, I feel like there is no actual answer to this. And I feel like who would be justified to make that answer? And how do we know that it's the right answer? It, it's too complicated. I don't know. <laughs> Well, I have a question for you all. Have you heard, you know, has this narrative around the lost year or, um, oh no, you know, learning loss, Olivia, you were hinting at this. There's been a lot of learning loss. We're really going to have to hit the ground running in September. Is this a narrative that's been buzzing around in your lives, teachers, parents? Uh, I don't really think it's a, a lost year because I mean, I don't know about you guys, but as soon as I'm out the classroom, I forget everything unless I have a test the next day. So it's not a lost year. I mean, it's the same thing. It don't, the only thing this year has done is really reveal it because, you know, we spend a lot of time outside the classroom now and everything is constantly going through one ear and out the other. So it's, it just makes it a lot more frequent. So, but I mean, it for everything else, it's, it's I mean, if you really think about it, it's been a really great year. I bring this stuff like every podcast now we're washing our hands now. This is really great. <laughs> we wash our hands. There's there's soap in the bathrooms now. This is great. I mean, great stuff. So I, there are in a lot of ways we've gone forward. <laughs> yeah, it's been fascinating. I have um, Dr. Gravity Goldberg. She's a fantastic educator and writer. We've been interviewing these kids around the country and teachers trying to ask them like, all right, there's the learning loss narrative. But what do you, what gains have you experienced? Like, what, what do you want to take with you um, that, that, that you'll forever hold on to moving forward? And I agree with you, Isaiah. I think moving forward, like I'm always going to be crazy with my son about washing his hands. Whereas before this moment, I was totally lax about it. That's a good thing to hold on to. And kids and teachers have been sharing just one sentence and then uh, there's a structure called a list poem where you can compile all of the sentences together and sort of have a picture of this learning. And perhaps at another time, I'll follow up with you. I'd love to hear, um, I'd love to hear about some of the learning you think you'll hold on to, whether it happened in school or out of school, inspired by this unprecedented moment. For me personally, I mean, kind of with what Isaiah was saying, but mostly for just specifically remote learning, like it's been really hard to learn anything. It's mostly just remote sitting in front of a screen for like four or five hours um, because 
like there's there's no like engagement like I'm not in a classroom I'm not going to get reprimanded if I zone out because I if I'm looking at my screen like who knows what I'm doing and it's it's been really hard as like a high schooler to sort of check yourself because obviously um the moment that high schoolers get the chance to slack off they're gonna take it for me personally and like I think a lot of us have been sort of cruising like I'm a junior. This is supposed to be like the hardest year of my high school career. I'm supposed to be stressed. And like, I wasn't for the first semester. And like, now I'm really feeling it because suddenly I have to worry about college. I have to worry about, you know, AP tests because those are still happening and those are still full time, but I haven't been getting the actual class time to learn the content. So like now, even though it's, like sucked for lack of a better word, um, to not really be able to learn stuff in the proper environment. I think I have gotten like better study skills because I'm someone that, you know, sort of would take what I learned in class and then would just get it and then apply it and then I'd be done. But now I'm somebody that has to like read the textbook, like just a, like a month ago, I opened my stats textbook for the first time. And I like saw what the pages were. I did exercises within the textbook, something I've really never had to do before because I needed to learn the content for the AP exam. And, you know, these are like the sort of skills that my parents were telling me, like, I'm going to need them my entire life, you know, like in college, you know, it's not the same experience. And, it's a good thing to know, just that you can't always rely on a teacher um, and you have to be independent. And like, that's something that I probably will carry after May, once my APs are over, you know, the, the light at the end of the tunnel then, and then hopefully senior year will, things will get better and I'll be able to go back to school. But, you know, for the future and just like moving forward, I'll be able to be an independent learner, someone that doesn't need to rely on a teacher in order to learn someone that can learn even if there's not a good platform to do so yeah you know that reminds me um so much of what this this fifth grader Quinn said he was like it's just what did he say I wrote it down somewhere oh something around how he's realized this year he doesn't need a teacher all the time <laughs> just as you're saying and he started writing these sci-fi novels and he like with in a really sophisticated way would watch a sci-fi movie and then try to sort of take these elements of suspense and hook his reader and you show don't tell to write these brilliant things. I mean, I know kids who have created like poetry anthologies or movies or created ancient Greek temples, slug colonies all on their own without teachers and have felt in some cases infinitely more excited by that work because there's a real sense of agency there and purpose it's coming from them that a sixth grader told me the other day her plan when she goes back she said that she wants to advocate for herself and tell her teacher i'm interested in writing graphic novels i want to find a way to do this at school somehow can i start uh can i start a writing club that meets during this flexible time of the day called quiet time i would have never thought of that in middle school. I would have never thought that that was something I could even ask for. But um, I think as she grows up, hopefully she'll hold on to that sense of initiative because that's what we want, right? We want kids to have that. We don't want them to feel like they're just cogs in a classroom machine complying and responding. Um, so what you shared made me think of those creative kiddos. Yeah, I think to your point, um, 
of the, you know, learning gap this year and the need to accelerate, I've learned more about myself and what makes me happy this year than any other year, probably because I I think everyone's faced more personal adversity in one way or another that's helped me grow, right? And even though this growth wasn't, you know, the traditional, like I learn, I obtain, you know, knowledge, and then I'll go forward in my life with that. I've, I've benefited from it 10 times more. Um, I think for, for me, a lot of it is, and not my parents in particular, but a lot of this learning, you know, 1.4x next year, even though I'll be in college is parent driven because when parents and kids are now working and living together, right. And parents aren't going to an office and students aren't going to school. Um, parents see firsthand, right. Or they listen in on a class and perhaps the parents there for the 10 minutes, the teachers asking students how they're feeling or, you know, not the best part, <laughs> right. Or, or teaching science. And I think it's very different to the more traditional education that that our parents received. Um, and because of that, they feel like our education this year is incomplete and feel the need to become more involved um, than they had been before. Or I think it's a lot easier to just send your kids to school and know that they're in good enough hands and you know see progression and get grades when you're seeing it visually and you're noticing every flaw in the education system and in their education, it's a lot easier to complain. So I think it's a lot more from them than from my teachers. I agree completely. I think that school is strange in that it's everybody's shared experience. So every everybody has gone to school for the most part. So everyone thinks they're an expert on it. And parents in particular, if your schooling does not validate what they think benefited them about their own schooling, that raises an alarm bell. Um, but there is all sorts of meaningful learning that is happening this year that, yeah, it can't be quantified in exactly the same way. But I can't believe I'm whipping this out. Who's that famous person? I forget if he's Greek or Roman. Plutarch. He's like, minds are not vessels to be filled. They're, they're fires to be kindled. And the, the, the learning loss narrative implies that you kind of march to school and you're empty and then you're filled up and then you go back home. But as Isaiah was implying, half the time a teacher might think that she's filling you up with knowledge, but really it's going in one ear and out the other. And um, I have to share, this is just a clip of the list poem. This is from fifth graders through seventh graders. So they're pretty young, younger than you. And this is what they shared. Each line is uh, a different kid. No, one kid has two lines. And their big learnings from the year were that being sad can be shared, that this world never stays the same, that staying in pajamas all day isn't as glorious as it seems, that time bends in different ways, to appreciate what I took for granted, how to deal with bad news, that even though the whole world is apart, we're also together. Though big things are happening, we're sharing it, that parents don't always have the answer to pay attention, to see the extraordinary in the ordinary. And this fifth grader, Annabelle, told me about this bush outside her house. There's this boring old bush. And during quarantine, she and her mom would just go on these walks and her mom would say, pay attention to the bush. It's gonna be this wall of purple flowers. And she said that when everything felt like it was falling apart, she would just go outside and like wait for those purple flowers. And she found so much joy in watching them emerge. And I kept thinking like, how in sixth grade are you now living your life like Mary Oliver, like doing the thing we all are supposed to do, like pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. 
be awake to the moment. That is something I am just grappling with as a grown-up. And that is, I think many people would argue, a big secret to happiness. And she learned that as a sixth grader. And I don't want the that hum around, oh my gosh, you've got to catch up, you know, and do 1.4x next year, what you did this year, to make her devalidate that important learning. Because kids can only hold on to learning if they name it. Like you have to name it and reflect on it in order to store it away and then pull it out later. So my hope is that a lot of teachers as the year closes, you know, find ways to help kids name and celebrate all that they've learned. That's all for today, friends. I'm editor Sarita Adabala signing off for all of us at Next Generation Politics. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic-minded friends or to your friends you'd like to become more civic-minded. Thanks for listening.